0: Welcome to the Grace Long Beach podcast, a series of sermons from our weekly Sunday gathering. For more information on our church community, values, and service times, please visit www.gracelb.org. Thanks for listening. Today's reading is Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Kids, you are dismissed to King's Quest as the rest of us are seated.
1: My name is Daniel Long. I'm a pastor here at Grace. Um, If this is your first time with us, So grateful that you're here. I hope you encounter this community to be one where you feel comfortable with wherever you might be um, on your journey with Jesus. Uh, We're going to turn into this point in the service to what we call um, receiving hearing from God through his word Uh, and this peculiar thing that happens if you're new to church where this person gets up and stands up here for like 30 minutes and says words um, and you 're waiting for it to be over. Uh, the reason this is part of our worship is because we believe that God speaks through his written word, but that also there 's opportunity to hear um, from others about what God might be saying, and the hope is that that what takes place in these next few minutes um, would be something that that brings you and I uh, in relationship to Jesus, so it goes out from here, and we begin to relate um, and have relationship of w- with Jesus throughout the week. So toward that end, I'd like to pray that God would speak to us through his word this morning and through Psalm 13. So would you pray with me? God, you are the God who is faithful to speak to us. You are the God who is faithful to be with us. Thank you that that is true. Uh, thank you for your word, I ask, God, that you would speak in a way that, that meets us where we are, that we would hear a word from you. God, I know that, that there are, and you know, that there are people here who need so desperately to encounter you this morning in a fresh way. I ask that you would do that, because that is the type of God that you are. Um, so please, God, be near um, to all of us, but especially to those who need to know that you were with them, it's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. If you want, you can turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter chapter thirteen, which is on page four fifty three. We're in the middle of a series called "Life with God," seven Psalms, seven statements, in which we're alternating from week to week um, between the Psalms and one of the "I Am" statements in the Book of John. We have two more weeks left um, this right now, and then next week. Um, Steve Porter's going to be finishing off with the I am statements. Uh, and I realized in thinking about what was I going to preach on that we hadn't really covered a psalm of lament. Uh, and which is peculiar to me, because I think that, that grace um, as a whole is comfortable with the idea of lament. Um, And and so the fact that we had not really walked through the idea of lament and what that is um, made me think we should get there. We need to do that, because I think it's important for us, for the church at large, for us to recognize the place that lament has in our walking with Jesus, but also what the place of lament in our calling um, as the church in the world. There's a theologian named Sung Chan Ra who says this, How we worship reveals what we prioritize. The American church avoids lament. Consequently, the underlying narrative of suffering that requires lament is lost in lieu of a triumphalist, victorious narrative. We forget the necessity of lament over suffering and pain. Absence doesn't make the heart grow fonder. Absence makes the heart forget. The absence of lament in the liturgy of the American church results in a loss of memory. What I love about this idea is Ra is suggesting that if we lose lament, we actually lose the ability to see what needs to be lamented. If we aren't a people who let the Psalms shape our prayers in which so many of them are laments, then we will be people who lose the ability to have the language and the life of prayer that looks in the face of injustice or sickness and death, and then is able to proclaim our cries and our sufferings in the midst of that. We lose our ability to be the voice for the world before God, of that which is happening all the time around us. Because the Psalms, we talked about this at the beginning of the series, actually gives us a language for our prayers with God. And if you were to read from beginning to end in the Psalms, you would encounter various types of psalms. There isn't necessarily like, oh, well, here's an order, um, because it's suggested that Walter Brueggemann, an Old Testament scholar, says he sees a trajectory of prayer which goes from, like, orientation, things with God are good, disorientation, wow, my world is totally ripped apart, to new orientation, God has intervened, and he he has saved us once again. But you don't see that, like, uh, as a formula in the book of Psalms. To suggest that when you go through the book of Psalms, you're going to meet Psalms, if you were to pray them daily, that you are praying something you don't necessarily feel. It's not part of your experience. And that was really interesting for me, as I just decided we should look through, look at lament. Um, I'm not in a season of lament. And so to look at a Psalm of lament, when I'm not in a season of lament, had really interesting things um, to do with my life, and shaped me in a specific way in my prayer life over the last week and a half or so. Because it suggests that we need the voice of others in order to pull us into the prayers that we need to pray. And the Psalms do that so well, specifically the Psalms of Lament. They help us see our lives, the lives of others, in a new way, and they give us language with which we can engage God. Because there are times in life when the bottom seems to drop out and you don't know what to do. And Psalm 13 is a psalm for that moment. So we're going to look at a a lament psalm and the form and the structure that a lament psalm typically takes. And Psalm 13 is nice because it's really short and it follows this pattern in a way that would help us look through it. So there are three major movements in a lament psalm. There's the complaint, there's the plea, and then there's this confession of trust and praise. Well, the complaint, as we see in verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? So the complaint is actually spoken in the form of a Questions and with the refrain of how long. And it's this sense that, that the psalmist is experiencing something like God's absence, right? How long will you hide your face from me? Will you forget me forever? This perceived forgetfulness of God and this perceived absence from God is something to be lamented. This psalmist is looking at their life, looking at their circumstances, and for all intents and purposes, they're wondering, where is God in any of this? But it's because of God's absence, then, that they begin to fear, right? The speaker begins to fear things like enemies. See, enemies the self is not the threat. It's actually God's absence that's the threat of this psalm. Because if God is absent, then, of course, for the people of Israel, that must mean that the nations surrounding them can overtake them at any moment. But a psalm of lament for the absence and the forgetfulness of God. Is that something that you have ever experienced, where God's face seems to be hidden from you, where it seems as if God has forgotten you? And the wonderful thing about this psalm is that it allows one to speak that truthfully and plainly. Have you forgotten me? Where are you? The psalmist does not hedge their bets theologically. Notice. It doesn't say, how long, O Lord? Right? Will you forget me forever? But I know that you're there, so I can't really really say that you forget me. How long, O Lord, will you be absent from me? But I know that you're present. So the psalmist doesn't do that. The psalmist does not let God off the hook. You have forgotten me, and you are absent. And how long is this going to go on? Because this can't be My experience, you are the God who covenanted yourself to the people of Israel. You are the God who promised in Joshua 1 to be with us wherever we go. So where are you now? Is that a question that you freely, truthfully ask in moments when it needs to be asked? Are you in a place where you need this prayer before God to say, where are you? Because perhaps this language gives you freedom to speak that for the first time. To question God in a way that you need to question God. Because it's in the questioning that things begin to open up. One author puts it that in the the Lament Psalms, a shattering occurs. So that something new can then be in your life, can come into it. Perhaps you need to be honest about the shattering that's occurring in your life so that something new might take place. So then it turns into the plea. So we have the complaint with the how long, O Lord, and then there's the plea from the psalmist asking that God would then do something in response to the complaint. And the psalmist asked three things. That, that God, they asked that God would consider them, answer them, and light up their eyes, lest they sleep the sleep of death. Verse 3, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. Notice this really subtle thing that takes place in verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. The psalmist turns from the first two verses, How long, O Lord, to consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. As if to suggest that the process of lament, of being honest before God, opens up new possibilities to see God as one's own God. That where, where there was distance, there is now intimacy and closeness. Do you ever experience this in relationships with people that you're, you're closest to? When it's easy, right, to have feelings toward a person and to see the person as completely other and ridiculous and always wrong. Maybe that's just my experience. When you're, in an, when you're feeling something toward a person and you're lamenting over somebody or with somebody, a distance can occur, but then once the honest speech is spoken and it's almost as if intimacy between the two parties is now possible. And the psalmist here, and this form, suggests that it's in the honest speaking of lament that we can then turn to plea on our own behalf or on behalf of others, saying, my God. The relationship has changed because of the speech that has been spoken, and it's honest and truthful. And it does not hide, and it does not hedge bets. And now the psalmist is to say, O Lord, my God. And then, typical to lament psalms, he says, consider me, answer me, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. And then it begins to talk about enemies. Because often in the lament psalms, what the lament wants to do, or what the lamenter wants to do in the book of psalms, is to say, remember me, because your remembrance of me will tell the world that you truly are God. Our prayers, when we pray, it is in God's best interest. It is in God's best interest to answer our laments so that His name be praised. That is why we need to boldly lament. That is why we need to boldly ask that God would, would save and heal and repair and reconcile for His name's sake, because when He does, the world will see that God is. And that God is that type of God. So here the psalmist is saying, How long will this happen? Consider, answer me, because if you don't, then look, my enemies will surely think that they have the upper hand. And what's that going to do for your name? And then the psalmist turns, which is typical of a psalm, to a confession of trust in verses five through six. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. The psalm of lament, typically, except for a couple in the psalms, make this turn to a confession of trust and to praise. The complaint, the request, and then the praise. And he praises three things. that or God, that God well, praises God's steadfast love. And then it also praises God's salvation. And then it praises God's generosity, that he has dealt bountifully with them. And sometimes reading a psalm like this, if you're in a place where you are lamenting, you think, how did they just make that happen? How did they go from the first four verses to the last two verses? That seems impossible. What has changed for the speaker? Is the speaker able to say these things because God, between verses 4 and 5, has done something, so then the psalmist sees God's hand at work? Is it simply that the, that the lament and the journey of lamenting has caused the opportunity for the speaker to now remember and recall who God has always been, and they can then trust that God will continue to be that way? What has happened, and the beautiful thing about poetry, is in some ways we don't know and in some ways the psalms then read us in our reading of it if you're reading that and you're frustrated how is that possible then chances are you are somebody for whom the the change from verse 4 to 5 doesn't happen easily if you're somebody for whom and that means that lament you need it and you need to continue to lament but you also need to be pulled, perhaps, into praise. If you're somebody who reads the first four verses, then gets to five, and you're like, oh, my world is good again. Um, Praise be to God. Then you probably need to lament more than you think you do. So the Psalms, in a way, as we pray them, read us. As they give us language to pray before God, they also show us where in our life with God we need to be challenged, where we need to be pulled, where we need to be stopped, And I think this psalm of lament does that. But I actually want to go back up to the between, between verse 4 and 5, because I'm really interested in that possible pause between those two verses. Because I bet many of you, or some of you, live in that blank space between verses 4 and 5, where you've lamented, where you've plead with God, and you're waiting. You're waiting in that gap between 4 and 5, and you don't know what to do. You don't know if verses 5 and 6 are possible. Will I ever be able to trust God again? You consider God's absence, you consider his potential forgetfulness, and you think, God, where are you? You are in a season of doubt, and all you want to do is to believe You are in a season of hurt and pain and all you want to feel is peace and wholeness. And you want to smile and you want to feel joy. Are you living your life between verses 4 and 5 in that pause, in that break? Because if you are, I want you to read again verse 5. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. Now I think the word trusted is really fascinating here because it means that everything that has come before is still an act of trust. That the complaint that somebody has has complained against God the honest speech that's part of trust. The asking, the pleading for God to work, that is part of trust. The waiting in the absence and in the forgetfulness is still a part of trust that that is all connected to what it means to trust in God. But here is something I need you to know, that if you are in between verses 4 and 5, you need to pull others into that gap with you. You need the help of others to mind that gap and that space because that, that blank space can be months or years or seasons after seasons after seasons, and you cannot make the jump from four to five, on your own. The beautiful thing about the psalms is that if you look at the plea, this is a person who knows that the only way that something will happen is because God is the one who is God who will work. This is not that the psalmists have no time for self-help or the power of positive thinking. This is not a psalm that says, you know what, just keep your head up. Keep on keeping on. Pull up your bootstraps and go for it, because I promise you, God helps those who help themselves. That is not psalm language. Psalm language is, how long, O Lord? And then, consider me, answer me. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. There is no way out of this, God, unless you reveal yourself and you do something. And before that turn, and before God makes something new possible, you are going to be in that gap, in that pause, and you need others with you. You need to pull others into that space and to lament with them. And so that your laments become our laments, your praises then become our praises. Because as the psalm moves, it suggests that 5 and 6, verses 5 and 6 the praise for God's steadfast love, for his generosity and for his salvation, that praise does not come unless you've walked through the honest speech that lament requires. Otherwise, it's a superficial praise. Hope in the Psalms is hard-earned hope. Hope in the Psalms looks in the face of sadness and death and tragedy and injustice, and it cries out and it pleads and it demands so that when God does answer, then praise be his name, because there is no other way that would have happened. That is what the Psalms call us into. But here's my question. What about laments for those who are not lamenting? What role does a lament have for us, and I said this at the beginning, who aren't in a season of lament? Why, Why do it? Why engage the practice of it? Why go through the Psalms and stop in a prayer like that and actually work on praying it? What does it do? And I want to spend the remaining minutes talking about the importance that I think lament has for our calling as followers of Jesus. And there are two things. In this wonderful book called uh, Reconciling All Things, two authors suggest that one of the things that, or two of the things that lament's, actually help the church do is it helps them unlearn speed and distance. That laments help us unlearn speed and distance. Because in our culture, we want to be efficient and we want to be quick and we want to do things always, all the time. And we also want to keep a safe distance from messiness. And the the Psalms of Lament don't let us do that. They pull us in to the gap, so to speak, that the world is experiencing from the cries and the pleas to God's wonderful work of new creation. Think of that gap, almost that pause, between between verses 4 and 5 as the already not yet. So we unlearn speed and distance. What do we mean by speed? Well, the Psalms of Lament force us If we pray them to remember that the work of healing and restoration takes a long, long, long time. And it is not on our time that things begin to work, but it's on God's time. And the church needs to learn how to have a sanctification of time if we are going to do the work that we've been called to do faithfully because the Psalms of Lament remind us that there are no quick fixes. God is the one who fixes, and God is fine with taking his time, much to our laments. But we unlearn the temptation of speed. To lament with a person whose marriage is on the rocks, who is suffering from addiction, who is suffering from illness, to lament with a person reminds you that you cannot do anything for that person. The Psalms of Lament remind us that we are not in control, and to pray them faithfully, and with those with whom we need to pray, we learn that we are not in control, but we need the work of God to break in. So we need to, the the Psalms of Lament help us unlearn speed, but they also help us unlearn distance. Again, in a world bent on keeping our distance or keeping a safe distance, the Psalms of Lament say, no, get in here, come close. There is no safe distance from pain and from suffering if God's work is going to be done. The church is not called to be distant Or above, looking down, casting judgment. The church is called to be in with the messiness and the difficulties, so that God himself can bear witness to his love and healing and restoration in the world. What the Psalms of Lament do is they pull us down, and to lament with those who are lamenting, we are pulled down because transformation, as one person puts it, looks a whole lot different from the bottom. Transformation looks a whole lot different from the bottom than when you're standing outside of or above saying, this is what I think the way forward is supposed to be. I watched a documentary called Heroin, which is a really short documentary about these three women in Huntington, West Virginia, who are attempting to battle the opioid epidemic that then leads into heroin addiction. And we, there's, a, there's a fire captain and there's a judge... And then there's a street missionary. And they're all doing their best to work on this epidemic and to be present where there are at least five to seven overdoses a day. It's astonishing, the statistics. Well, well the street missionary said this. She, she began the, creating these um, brown bag lunches, and she'd go out onto the streets and, and she'd engage prostitutes and give them food as they were out there. And she said, I thought that just giving them food and attract, that they would then realize that they need Jesus. And I don't want to, I mean, she's doing something, right? So I don't even want to disparage any of that. But what's amazing is the transformation that occurs when she realizes that what she needs to do is be with these women and hear their stories. And not just give them a brown bag lunch, but give them a place to sleep, or take them to a place where they can get sleep. Where she can actually go with them to their recovery programs. And when she's there, even when they relapse, I mean, this is a woman who was at a distance, and then realized the work of transformation takes a whole lot longer. And maybe it's only going to happen for one person. But she is going to be there at the bottom with the person all along the way. And I think as the church, we need to relearn, reacquire the language of lament if we are going to be faithful to our calling in the world. Because we are to be in the work because of Christ doing the work of transformation, but from the bottom with people. You know, we hear tragedies and Constantly, all the time, people are, are disparaging the church for offering thoughts and prayers. And I wonder, well, what would it look like for the church to begin offering tears and laments? where well, we were actually pulled into the bottom of those situations. We were actually seeing what needs to occur and pleading on the world's behalf that God would do it. That's what I think lament offers us unlearning speed. That things take a whole lot longer because it is it is God who is doing them, in the way that He sees fit, in the time that He sees best. That doesn't mean we don't lament. It means we keep lamenting until we can get to verse five and six, where we say rejoice. Thanks be to God. The distance it means the church is called to be in it with the world. To be lamenting on its behalf, to be hearing the stories, and to be taking those stories before God, that those laments become our laments, so that eventually their praises can become our praises. That is the work that God has called us to do as his church. So may God shape us, his church, into a people who learn to lament in order that we might stand with the world, giving voice to its anguish and pleading. May God shape us into a people who bear witness to Christ's patient and faithful nearness in the world's suffering, waiting with hope in the trust of God's steadfast love in order that we might rejoice in his salvation. Thanks be to God.